Welcome. Welcome back, everyone, to a brand new episode of my weekly podcast, Writing Through the Pain. This is your host and Winnipeg multidisciplinary artist, Ingrid D. Johnson. Thank you, everyone, for joining me as I discuss, explore, and discover what facing and slowly healing after the trauma of childhood sexual abuse looks like in several areas of life, beginning with my childhood years and into my teens and then slowly into my adult life. Thank you for choosing to go on this healing journey with me as I share pieces of my story from my upcoming book and also interviews with other people that are connected to my story. Would you like to do more to show your support for this podcast? Then please, subscribe, leave a tip in any amount, or become a monthly sponsor by contributing $5 a month or more through our PayPal link. That link is www.paypal.com forward slash paypalme, all one word, forward slash ITC sponsorship. In return, you will receive a quarterly newsletter, a download code to my album Visions and Dreams, and 10% discount off all new In the Closet Productions products and services. Every dollar you contribute will be used to produce inspiring original music, live music shows, speaking engagements, this podcast, and other creative projects that helps to draw awareness to the impact of childhood sexual abuse. Thank you so much for your wonderful support. My Story, Part 28, No Mediation Warning, this episode could be triggering for those who've gone through a sexual assault, so listener discretion is advised. When trauma occurs in the body, the body has its own way of recording the story, its own way of remembering every moment and slowly shutting down. It has its own way of bearing witness to unspeakable things that should never be allowed. Growing up as a survivor of childhood sexual abuse, I had to learn the hard way how to trust my own instincts. I had to learn the hard way how to listen to that small, still voice warning me of danger. For a long time, I didn't trust my own perception of things. I didn't trust my own voice. And as various predators walked in and out of my life, leaving me more and more damaged every time, I started to believe that I was better off being silent. Childhood sexual abuse is a violation of one's physical and emotional boundaries. It left me learning the hard way the need for healthy boundaries. The need for therapy in order to sort through the damage that type of abuse does to a little kid. Damage that made me blind to so many people in my youth with bad intentions that were only in my life for a season to use and abuse me. People who only brought more darkness into my life until I finally found the light, the true light, that helped me to see them clearly and set up some firm boundaries. What Jeffrey and Raylene had done to me had triggered a lot of PTSD from the sexual abuse I had suffered as a kid. It took me back to a memory a couple years earlier when I was on a trip to New York pursuing a modeling career. It was a beautiful sunny day in New York City. 
and I was walking down some random street in Manhattan, looking into store windows and enjoying every moment of it. After all, I was in my favorite city. New York was like a second home to me. I knew my way around Manhattan, and I enjoyed discovering all the cool stores in the city. On that particular day, I remember passing a small art store that seemed to call out to me to come inside. Inside the store, several beautiful art paintings were on sale that I really liked, and so I decided to browse for a bit and then continue shopping my portfolio to modeling agencies I liked. I was deep in thought, scrolling through a rack of paintings when a tall, semi-attractive Caucasian man came up to me, asked me if I was a model, and smiled at me. Caught off guard by his baritone voice and his sudden intrusion into my own thoughts, I looked up at him like a deer caught in headlights and responded with an awkward, yes, that made me feel so vulnerable. I thought, why is he talking to me and where did he come from? I thought you looked like a model, he said, with a warm smile that seemed very non-threatening as he quickly scanned my face and the rest of my body before gazing deeply into my eyes for an awkward moment. Actually, I'm an aspiring model from Canada, I mumbled, trying to access more confidence than I was currently exuding. You are as beautiful as one of these paintings, he said casually before telling me that his name was Michael Barrett and that he was a professional photographer who really wanted to take my picture at his studio around the corner from the art store we were currently in for his portfolio. Being very naive at the time and trusting that people were good, after speaking with him for a while, I decided to follow him back to his office next door on the second floor of a loft. When we arrived on the second floor of his office, he began taking photos of me immediately, walking around the room and standing and and asking me to stand against a wall. Then after a few more snapshots, he decided to ask me to remove my top. Feeling like I had suddenly entered a bad after-school special, I found myself scanning the room for a quick exit, realizing that I had walked off with a strange man in Manhattan with no one in the know about my whereabouts. I felt like I was a goner for sure, and it would be a miracle if I didn't end up in a dumpster raped, strangled to death, or worse. I never felt so foolish in all of my life, but I still had the courage to firmly say no. I'm sorry, I I don't do nudes, I said politely, but firmly, or so I thought in my head. Standing there in my short, blue jean skirt, white tank top, and white tennis shoes. I waited for his response. After what seemed like forever, he decided to snap a few more photos of me before saying he had all the photos he needed and that he would walk me to the elevator. After pushing the button and telling me it was nice to meet me and that he appreciated my help with his portfolio, I told him that it was nice meeting him too. The truth was, I couldn't wait to get away from him and back out on the streets of Manhattan, where I would feel much safer walking around. When I got off that elevator and returned to the rest of the world and scathed by my scary experience, I vowed never to be that foolish again, and kept that promise for quite a few years. 
Raylene had become my bully after I had lashed out at her for what she had done to me on my 22nd birthday. I was tired of the rumors she had spread about me, and I wanted to stop. I wanted her to stop harassing me with her phone calls and confrontations at the club. She had made my life miserable, so I decided to ask for a restraining order so she would leave me alone and stop bothering me whenever I chose to go out. Before my day in court with her, Raylene and I were offered mediation services, an opportunity to work things out with an impartial party in the room instead of going to court, a way to avoid court altogether. However, from the moment we sat down, Raylene presented herself like she was the victim and acted like I was crazy for putting her through the process of the court system. This aggravated me to no end, and things only went downhill downhill from there, which resulted in a court date for the restraining order being set. A couple of weeks later, I received a peace bond that meant Raylene had to keep her distance, and I tried to move on from there. Knowing that trying to press charges against Raylene and Jeffrey for sexually assaulting me would be a challenge after taking a bath that night and not reporting it to the police right away. Or actually, even at all. I didn't trust the police. Not after those officers did nothing to make the babysitter's husband pay for what he had done to me when I was a little kid. I also felt too embarrassed to tell anyone else what Jeffrey and Raylene did. I was living with so much shame over that experience. And I just wanted to forget it and move on with my life as best as I could. For a few months after the whole Raylene saga, I found myself unable to sleep in my bed at night or shake the shame I felt remembering things from that night. It was hard moving past what had happened to me, and I found myself eating less and always crying. It was rough to go down to 106 pounds and to feel like I was not only spiritually and mentally disappearing, but physically disappearing as well. It was a rough time, and I tried so hard to drown out my thoughts by going clubbing with Darlene a lot. We were out almost every night. It was during one of those nights at the club with Darlene and two other girls when we were hanging out at the bar that I met Jason Winters. Jason Winters was tall, fit, bald, very attractive, Caribbean, well, Bayesian, and extremely unavailable emotionally. He knew one of the girls Darlene and I were partying with at the club, and so our paths crossed that night. Brimming brimming with confidence that bordered on arrogance, Jason walked right up to me at the club and struck up a conversation out of nowhere that began with him asking me about the rumors about me having a threesome. It completely caught me off guard. Always looking out for me, Darlene had overheard the conversation, interrupted him immediately by telling him that Raylene and Jeffrey were predators and not to bring up that subject ever again with me. He took one look at the sad expression on my face and never did bring it up ever again. The rest of the night, Jason was very nice to me, and by the end of the night, I was crushing on him hard. I couldn't get him off my mind. There was just something about him that drove me wild and gave me so many feelings I hadn't felt before. It was the beginning of a six-year on-again, off-again situationship 
that never really turned into a relationship. And that always left me wanting so much more from him than the dysfunctional relationship based on seduction, sex, manipulation, mind games, and false hopes and dreams that I actually had with him. It was the beginning of my longing for a man that would always be too self-absorbed to really see me as a woman worthy of his love and respect. The beginning of several steamy romantic relationships in my 20s that would make me question my self-worth and hunger for a real relationship based on love, loyalty, respect, understanding, and unconditional love. To be continued. Are you looking for a practical gift for your loved one? A new graduate, a co-worker, or perhaps a really close friend? Well, look no further. Check out my store, IDJ Designs, on Etsy and order one of my coffee mugs to support my mission to help draw awareness to the lifelong impact of childhood sexual abuse through my weekly podcast, my original music, my upcoming memoirs, previous poetry books, live shows, video film, and speaking engagements all under my small production company in the Closet Productions, a voice for the voiceless. Every purchase you make helps me, Ingrid D. Johnson, to continue sharing my story as an artist and a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. Help me encourage those who feel voiceless and like no one understands their pain to speak up and to never lose hope. Check out my store on Etsy today. Thank you so much for your support and please tell a friend. Did you enjoy this recent episode? Then stay tuned for a brand new episode of Writing Through the Pain, My Story Continued, every Wednesday night. Tune in next week, where I will share more of my story dealing with the impact of childhood sexual abuse. Well, as usual, please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and share it with your colleagues, family members, acquaintances, and friends. After all, you never know who this podcast might speak to, inspire, uplift, inform, or help to break their silence about an incident or incidents of childhood sexual abuse in their lives. To leave a message about an episode of this podcast, or to become a potential guest on the show, please message me at anchor.fm forward slash Ingrid D. Johnson, all one word, forward slash message. Thank you again for listening. Thank you for supporting my mission. Good night and God bless you, my friends.